Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So this morning we're going to talk about the messy servant. Last week we talked about just our responsibility that we have because Jesus came. And he gave us this perfect example. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about Jesus' example in our lives. And so if you have your handout, grab it. You can fill in some blanks. If you don't have a handout, you can probably give a wave and some ushers might have some still and they can get it to you if you'd like one. And I hope you fill those in. Take some time right on the back. Scribble on them. Um, If you're completely bored, you can play X and O's on the back or something probably. (laughs) I suggest not letting me see you do that, please. I plan on hopefully not letting you be bored this morning. And so, we're going to start talking right where in Luke 22, the disciples uh, start arguing with each other. How many people here have ever been in an argument? Few people raising hands, few people just going, no, I'm not responding, Chad. I think we've all been in an argument sometime in our lives. And so the disciples are arguing back and forth. I don't know if you've ever had this argument and dispute with your wife, but they're arguing back and forth on who's better. Anybody ever dare to have that argument with their spouse? No, okay. Just. But they're arguing back and forth. Who's better? Who's better? Who's going to sit right beside God when they get to heaven? Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus and your argument to one another is who's better? And as they're arguing and they're going back and forth and they're trying to debate who's better, who's greater, I always tell this story of we might not have these arguments because we're not that forefronted, right? We're not literally like, I'm better than you are. (laughs) But have you ever been in a story? I don't know if this happens with ladies, but this happens with men. And... A mentor of mine called it out on me one time, and I was like, ooh, that hurt. And so I really try to watch myself. I still fall into the trap all the time, but he calls it the one-up story. And so you get a group of men together, and it will go in a circle. And a man will tell a story, and then another guy will go like, oh, yeah, I got a story too. And then that story one-ups the other story. And what makes it even better in the group is when it goes all the way around and the first guy all of a sudden has another story that beats everybody else's again. (laughs) And what it is, is it's our egos. It's our pride. And that's why fishermen stories get from here to here really fast. (laughs) I don't fish, so, and it's because all the fish that I catch are this big. (laughs) And even this is probably an exaggeration. They're more like minnows. But we tell these one-up stories, and so I try to watch when I'm in conversation with men now, because honestly, a lot of times, when a man tries to tell a story to another group of men, he's not trying to be prideful, he's just trying to share a story. And a lot of times, when we try to up, one-up it, we actually, unintentionally, men, we kind of belittle the other guy. And we don't do it intentionally, because I know with men, we have this overlining understanding of what respect is, but with these stories, we'll one-up it, not intentionally and we do what the disciples do, we say, well, actually, I got a better story. And we don't say it that way. We say, oh, I got a story just like that. But we know in our hearts and our minds, my story is way better than yours. 
And then we do it and we actually hurt one another. And so the disciples, they're a little more blunt and forward with it. They're a little more like, no, I'm better than you. You sit over there. And so what happens is we walk through this, we understand as you read through the different gospels and piece it together, in John 13, it starts talking about what's happening. They're arguing because there's nobody there to wash their feet. There's no servant. So out of them all, who's the bottom of the totem pole that's going to wash feet? Jesus, verse 3 of chapter 13, John. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had become, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus gets up and begins to wash their feet. How many people know at this very moment every one of those disciples is humbled and embarrassed? Could you imagine sitting around the table with Jesus? First off, that just blows our minds. Second, arguing with one another. I ain't washing your feet. You wash my stinky feet. Your feet stink. No way. You wash mine. I saw what you stepped in as we were walking. I ain't washing yours. You watch mine. And Jesus goes, I got this. I'll do it. Peter's the only one that they record what he said. He said, Lord, no, 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 no. I should wash your feet. Jesus, being much politer than ourselves, goes, too late. Peter goes so much so, he's like, then if you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. He's like, no, no, if you've already been cleansed, it's just your feet that are dirty. But we continue reading. In verse 12, it picks up and it says, so then he had, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. Then, or if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash, not his feet. You notice that? He didn't say you should wash my feet. Which, let's be honest, if, we just, if you just wash 12 of your disciples' feet, you think your comment would be, now that I've washed yours, you all take turns and wash mine, get them shiny clean. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't even talk about his feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you as a servant, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We're supposed to serve one another. This is an example he has set for us. Do you realize the other example he has set, and he tells it in parables, where he is showing every one of us in this room mercy and grace. 
It's another example that we should follow. We should extend mercy and grace. Well, Chad, how much mercy and grace should I extend? How much are you hoping to receive? See, Jesus tells Peter, forgive 70 times 70. But how much grace do you want to receive? How much forgiveness are you hoping for? I don't know about you, but when I make a mistake, I really pray, first off, nobody finds out. And two, if people find out, I'm really hoping that they extend full mercy and full grace. But for some reason, it's hard for me when people make a mistake that I'm depending on them to do. And when they make a mistake, it, I don't know, maybe it's just me that I don't extend the same mercy and grace that I'm hoping for. I'm not as patient with people as I really hope they're patient with me. See, the Lord's example is what we're supposed to follow. Thank the Lord, not mine. As I strive, you strive. As we strive together, we hold each other up. We lift one another up. See, the big thing that we have to remember in serving one another is this. None of us is better than the other person. Turn to the person beside you and say, I know I'm not better than you, but not in like a you're, you suck mode. So you have to realize, so here's where I'm gonna to try to bring the balance back for a moment. I wish I got that much response out of everything I asked for. Here's, here's the balance to this, because we just prayed through some past hurts and stuff that you need to understand by you confessing to the person beside you that you are aware that you're not better than them, that does not mean there's something wrong with you. For too long in the church, we thought humility meant we suck. No. Humility is not that you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less often. I can serve you with still confidence in myself. It actually tells us in the scriptures that Jesus, knowing who he was and knowing what was given to him, he got up and served. He was able to serve because of who he knew he was. See, when you understand who you are in Christ, you're able to serve. Because I'm able to get down and wash your feet. I'm able to do things. I watched people in the foyer this morning as you were coming in here and sitting down enjoying the service and getting ready for the service. I see people in the foyer mopping up the floor from all of our boots coming in. They weren't asked to. They mopped it up serving every one of us so when we walk out, we don't slip and break our neck. And you don't know who it is, but I know. And they had a servant's heart. It's doing those things without being asked. 
How many people here appreciate it when your kids make their bed or clean their room and you never ask them and they're not looking for allowance? Right? It is one thing to do something out of kindness, but then you're expecting something in return. That's not serving. It's called strings attached. Now you're fishing. The servant's heart, just to serve, because Matthew 20, 16 says this, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus knew then that we are full of pride. Why should I wash your feet? Pride goes right back to the original sin in the garden. You can be just like God. Let's eat. Pride leads to so much sin. A lot of times pride can be rooted to almost every sin. We're supposed to serve. So why should I volunteer? Chad, do you know how long I volunteered for? I've been volunteering for so long, it was in the old building. If you check a pulse, and you have a pulse, then God's not done with you, which means he still needs you to serve. He needs every one of us to serve. All you students in the front row, in the second row, you're not too young to serve. We have such low expectation on teenagers that we don't think they should do things. Some of them can do stuff better than us. We don't want to admit it. I actually hope they're whispering to each other, not hearing that part. No, you guys can do stuff better than us. What we need you to do is have the confidence and the willingness to do it. I'm going to brag on my son for a minute. Uh, every time I do this, Ruth, you're always here and there's a principal here. We kept him out of school again. <laughs> it was a snow day. Buses were canceled. I'm going to teach to this side for a moment. But we brought him here and our son loves to shovel snow. So I'm not going to stop him. I'm going to empower and fan that flame. So he gets here and he plays for a minute, and then all of a sudden he's coming, and he's putting his snow pants on and all this stuff, and I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going outside to shovel. Well, yes, you are. <laughs> he's like, where should I shovel? Oh, amen. <laughs> I'm like, you can do back here, but don't forget the front entrance as well. So he shovels out back, he shovels out front, and while he's out front, another gentleman from the church is here, and he sees that Miles is loving it. And Miles, is, he goes to Miles, he's like, you enjoy shoveling? Oh, I love shoveling snow. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. When you're done, can you just head over to the house over here and just clear off their walkways and stuff for us? He grabs his shovel, he starts heading over, and he's like, no, 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 you can finish here first. Okay. <laughs> so he finishes here, and he goes over across there, and he shovels not just the one entrance, he shoveled all three. And he came back to the church, and he's like red, frozen, but excited. Here's what you need to realize. I'm not bragging on my son because he did it. Here's what I want you to know. When you serve, and you serve from your heart, there's a joy that comes with it. So some people might say, Chad, you shouldn't get your son to shovel snow. 
I can't stop him. (laughs) And I'm being truly honest. There are moments in the church where we will stop younger people from doing something because we don't think they're old enough when God has called them to do it. Fan into flame and watch people's joy stir up in them. Romans 12, 13, or 12, 3 says this. In the NIV it says, for by the grace given to me, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith of God that has been distributed to each of you. The ESV says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. I just like reading different versions. It just has a little different taste. And so the amplified version says this. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has appropriationed to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. He's given it to you for service. All of your abilities were to serve. The interesting thing is some of us have the abilities that we use them for work and we get paid for them, but then God still wants you to use those abilities for work and to serve. God has called every one of us in this room to serve. Jesus came with that example. And he tells us, follow my example. Are we following his example? Can you imagine the disciples at this moment? They're sitting there arguing who's better. And Jesus gets up and washes them. And says to them, I have washed your feet. Now you should wash each other's feet. Mark 10, 45 tells us that, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He served you by dying for you. And then he goes on and says in Mark 8, Jesus says this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is asking us to do the same thing he did for us, give up our life. He's not asking you to go and die on a cross at the moment, but he's asking you to give over your will to him. Let him lead you and direct you. Let him plan your calendar. Invite him into all areas of your life. I actually didn't piece together until right now as I scanned the room and I saw Jay's hoop t-shirt that we're talking about serving and asking you to plan your calendar and let Jesus come into that calendar. This hoops program is so great. I am, no, I don't want to say shocked. If you get involved in it, you will be shocked at the fact that every year we have to beg for volunteers. Because the joy that's in your heart is you watch kids learn about Jesus and improve in a game. I coach many different things in town and I remember last year, this past summer, I coached baseball and our team was not good. You can blame the coach. I'll be okay with it. There's some things that coaches can't be responsible for. Hate to say it, but it's true. 
But I remember our very last game of the season. We started winning, like honestly, we won the last game of our season, then we went into playoffs, and I think we won like two more, one by default. <laughs> but in our very last game, here's what you need to hear. In our very last game, I saw one of our players get a hit for the first time all year. And I saw the joy on his face when he stepped on first base and he was called safe. And you see him standing on first base with this massive smile on his face. Because he actually made contact with the ball. And ran fast enough to get on base. I know we laugh, but I'm the one who stands at the pitching machine dropping the ball in every time this guy's at bat and watching the ball go right by him and there's nothing that I can do to help. And I see the joy on his face. And at the very, I think it was like the last inning or second last inning, one of the boys is playing second base and I kind of have him at second base because not too many balls get hit there. And all of a sudden a pop fly goes to second base. And as every coach thinks, oh, anywhere else. And the ball goes in his glove and he catches it. And his response is not to grab it, to go to what base am I supposed to throw it to to see if somebody stepped off the base. I kid you not, he catches the ball, he looks at it, he looks straight at me, <laughs> and he does this. <laughs> at that moment, our record didn't matter. Our record did not matter. Watching the joy on this boy's face. This is the opportunity that you have if you help out with hoops. When you watch a little kid score the first basket they've ever scored, and you see them, a lot of times, I'm telling you, they don't turn and first look at their parent. They look at you, the coach, because you helped them. And there's joy. There's excitement. There is so much joy in serving. I pray with the kids workers every Sunday morning up the hall that I believe that every Sunday that something's gonna happen up the hall that the teachers will see some little bit of change in a child's heart and know inside that they've done something and that it makes it. I told you the story of how a lady sat back here in the back row just a few weeks, or just I think before the summer, and they were from my hometown. And they knew me as a child. And for them to see me pastoring a church, they knew that they did something even if it was just their prayers. There's joy in serving. You can't go to, to Stratford with love. And trust me, there's a lot of work involved. You can't go there, and yes, you'll leave probably exhausted. But there's a smile on your face to see all these people come together. And to know that you either had a big part or a small part, it didn't matter. You just know you had a part. There's joy. There's excitement. And this is what God is calling us to be a part of. I want to share with you quickly, I see the time, and I want to share with you, but I want to tell you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's David. And here's what you have to understand with David. Here is why he's such incredible when it comes to serving. Because if you look and you follow the life of David in 1 Samuel 16, it talks about how Samuel came and to anoint David with oil to be the new king because Saul had fallen away. He'd fallen out of the favor of the Lord. 
And so Samuel comes and to anoint David, and he finds David's dad, Jesse. And he says to him, bring all of your sons to the sacrifice. He brings all of his sons, and Samuel sees the oldest boy, tall, big guy, handsome, and he's like, that's the man. God goes, no, 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 no. Look at his heart. So Samuel goes through, it says, all eight of his, or all seven of his boys. He goes, where, is this all you got? And what happens is, Jesse has to admit, no, no, I got one more boy. Well, where is he? Oh, I didn't even invite him. Told you to bring all your boys. Yeah, but it's David. Really. We won't sit down until he gets here. Let's hope he's close. Let's be honest. Let's hope he's close. Some of us have a hard time standing for worship. That was supposed to be an inside thought. I apologize. (laughs) That came right. Filter, apologize. It's truth with it, but I apologize. So he's standing. David comes walking in. Says he's gentle. He's handsome. There's something about him. He looks like me. He walks in the room. I don't understand why that's so funny. He walks in the room, and they stand and anoint him with oil. They anoint him as king, and he becomes king. No, he doesn't. He's actually sent back out to the field. Can you imagine? You're working in the field, you're forgotten about, you're not even invited to the party, you come to the party, and all of a sudden you find out, not only are you invited to the party, you are the man of honor at the party. You're anointed as king. You're like, here's the staff, here's the rod, where's my crown? Oh, sorry, David, can you just pick those back up? The one who lost the favor of God is still sitting on the throne, so you're actually out there. So David goes back out. Now, the verse that we have on the screen says, in verse, 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, the spirit, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. When this spirit comes and torments him, he goes so crazy that the attendants are like, we need to find something. They know of David that he plays a lyre, which is like a harp, and he comes, they bring him in, and when he plays it, it relaxes Saul and the spirit leaves. So if you ever wonder what the importance of worship is, in the presence of worship, evil spirits will leave, and you will find peace. You're tormented at home? Put some worship on, begin to worship the Lord. So this is walking through, and all of a sudden now, remember, in chapter 17, David is anointed as king, but Saul is king. I know, it gets confusing. Saul and his army, including three of David's older brothers, they're in a battle. They're in a war against the Philistines. When they're fighting against the Philistines, here's the cool thing about some of the wars back then. Some of the armies would just choose their best fighter and say, look, instead of like a whole bunch of us dying, why don't we just let these two fight? And... If your guy wins, you win the war. If we win, we win the war. Sound good? So this is what happens. 
So all of a sudden, though, the Philistine comes walking out. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in some places that I shouldn't be in. And all the big guys never really bothered me. It was the small guys. Small guys made you go, uh, there's something about you that, that I think you're crazy. Big guys, they're just big, right? But no, Goliath is a big dude. The Bible tells us that measurements, he's about nine foot nine. So that's about three inches shorter than the basketball hoop. If you're wondering about his build, the armor that he wears, just the armor, weighs about 125 pounds. So, like I'm saying, he's kind of a small dude. His nickname probably would be Tiny. And he's standing there. So everybody's hiding. Everybody's scared. Nobody wants to fight him. But David fights him. And David wins. We know this story. David kills him with a stone and a slingshot. That's all he has. And he wins. But here's the interesting thing about David. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, it says this. Now, G now Jesse said to his son David, take this Ephraim, which is about 36 pounds of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your, for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commanders of their unit. See how your brothers are, are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David gets, gets to the camp and he delivers this bread and this cheese and the grain and he finds out what's happening and this is how he gets into the battle with Saul or against uh, Goliath, sorry. This is how he gets there. Now how many people know at this moment David is anointed king? Realize this, David is anointed king. His father knows that he's anointed king and asks him to deliver cheese. I don't know about you, but if you were anointed king and your father said to you, can you do me a favor? You know your brothers that are older than you that beat you up and gave you wedgies and noogies as you were a kid? Can you do me a favor? Can you take this wagon, take this cheese, and go deliver it to your brothers? How many of you think you'd be like, absolutely, Dad? Or how many of you be like, uh, Dad, maybe you forget, but like a chapter ago, I was anointed king. Like, let's just turn the page back and just read for a minute, Dad. Anointed king. Uh, shouldn't they like come back here and like feed me grapes? But can I challenge you this morning? Because David was willing to humble himself and deliver cheese, he stepped into an open door that actually allowed him to step into the calling God had on his life. Because see, people, other people didn't know who David was until he killed Goliath. It was after that that they started singing the songs. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has ten thousands. Do you realize that if David was not humble enough to deliver cheese, he may not have been in the place to fight Goliath? Are you willing to deliver the cheese? Are you willing? Because see, you don't know and you don't understand when he asks you to deliver cheese, you don't know what's on the other side of it. 
You may step into something that is small. You may think, Chad, why would I do this? This is not a big deal. And all of a sudden, God goes, but you don't know what you're going to step into. I'm asking you to humble yourself to do this. And if you're faithful to do this, I'll step you into this. If David said no to the cheese, he would have never been there to fight Goliath. Have we missed opportunities in our lives because we weren't humble enough to do the small things that God has asked us to do? Are you willing to serve this morning? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example and get messy and to serve and to walk people? Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of nations. Are you willing to walk with people and help them to get closer to a walk with Jesus so they understand who they are? David Ferguson, he writes in a book and he says, five steps to leadership development. Many of you may have already know this process. As soon as I read it, you'll go, this makes sense. If you've taught anybody how to do something, this is what you've done probably. Here's the five steps. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. You do, somebody else watches. See how number five, it starts to cycle over for somebody else. See, what happens in the church is a lot of times you may have had somebody help you, then they watch you, or they help you, you work with them, they watch you, and then they step away, but then nobody else comes in. Because sometimes we're not sure where to start. This is called the Purple Book. It's actually the title in the book. This is going to help us as a church take a step to the next level. This book here is a simple biblical foundations for building strong disciples. What my goal is, what our goal is as leadership is that we will have as many of you that are willing and I'm being honest, is willing to serve and to do this, that you go through this book. And once you've gone through this book, guess what you can do? You can help somebody else go through it. And I'll find some pages that aren't written in. It is a lot of fill in the blanks. And they actually have the scripture references and everything. So if you're like, Chad, I don't know if I can do this, you can do this. And then it's as simple as this. I don't know if you've noticed, but people get saved here. And the moment you've walked through this is the moment that you can walk somebody else through it. But Chad, I don't know what I'm doing. Just walk through the purple book. Right now, there's a man in this room that's taking another young man that's in this room through this book. And I asked both of them this morning and they said they both are enjoying it. And when I tell you that, when I say a, a man and a, and a boy, they are very different in age, and I won't guess at the age difference, that might be wrong of me to try. <laughs> but there's an age difference. And I, I'm telling you that if this gentleman is getting something out of this book and this boy is getting something out of this book, every one of you in this room will get something out of this book. The question is, are you willing to follow Jesus' example, and not only his example, his commandment. When he left, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. 
That's what we're supposed to do. And up to this moment, some of you may have had this understanding or this thought that you had a way out saying, oh, I don't know what to do. I just took that away from you. This is it. So this morning I ask you, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to get messy, to meet people in their mess and to help them find Jesus Christ? Let's pray. And so Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for speaking to us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for encouraging us. Lord, I pray that our hearts are always stirred up for the lost, that, Lord, you help us, even through this Christmas season, to continue to look for open doors, Lord, to serve and willing to deliver the cheese, Father God, that you can open doors so that we can step into something new, that we don't know that bringing a coffee to a coworker, to a neighbor, will open the door to share your love or just to connect in our relationship, Father, to invite them to your house. And so, Lord, protect us this Christmas season. Guide us and lead us, Lord. Help us to be a light for you. Lord, help us, Father, to always look for your steps. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well.